Hey everybody, this is Brent Ingersoll and you are listening to the Speaking Of Podcast. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine named Heather Semple. Heather is a pastor at 12 Stone Church, a church that I love because that's the church of my mentor, Pastor Kevin Myers, and she's gone there to join him after an incredible ministry as a senior pastor in Wisconsin. Heather is just an unbelievable leader. She's a great friend and she is a wellspring of knowledge. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Here it is, my conversation with Heather Semple. First thing I wanted to I wanted to talk to you just like to kind of get you know as a just by way of update even you know you're yeah I was trying to think today is it two years now you've been in Atlanta it was two years in August wow. yeah that's crazy it's going fast it it's like fast and very slow it's both like simultaneously <laughs> COVID slow there's a part yeah oh my goodness it feels like um. It was yesterday, and then it feels like I've been here my whole life. Right. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, a little over two years. Wow. And in the two years, so much has happened. And maybe that's why it feels like a lifetime. Yes. So much has shifted and changed. For, yeah. for you personally, in the world, all of it. All of it. So that's what I wanted to ask you, like for, for people who, who wouldn't know you, a lot of people like associated with King's Church know you because you've been here a couple times yes. now and you were supposed to be here this year, but uh, COVID. So I, you know, someday, someday we will get this <laughs> marriage conference going again. But you, you were the senior pastor, lead pastor in, uh, yeah. in Wisconsin. And it's just one of those amazing, yeah. I mean, really just an unusual God story, like a very yeah. large church, really not in a highly populated area. Like it, no. it, it made the city of St. John that I live in feel like a bustling metropolis <laughs> in comparison, in comparison, I think to, to where you were in Wisconsin. What you were in, uh, what was the, what was the Rice Lake? Is that where it was? Yeah. Rice Lake, Wisconsin. But we were only about an hour South of Canada. So um, yeah, but small town, about oh if i'm generous about 10,000 people wow um i know and we were there for how long were we there for um 11 years wow we were there i mean the whole time i was at the senior pastor about half of that time i was prior i was on staff but yeah 11 years there and um it's such a weird thing when we lived there uh I was very at home in my role, kind of in my sweet spot, senior pastor. God was doing amazing things. It was an unexpected, never thought that's what I would do, yet God invited me into it, and it was awesome. But um, I don't know, just small town. The small town never felt like home, but the church right. and what I did felt so much like home. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we moved a little over two years ago. So now, um, we're here at 12 stone and it's weird because this, so I often ask, I wonder what God's doing because where we live now feels like we've lived here forever. It feels very much like home. Right. Um, which is a little bizarre, but, um, so you left, yeah. you left like, you know, uh, again, it's, it's, it's almost like we're, you know, I'm a sports guy, so you know, Jordan kind of left the bulls where he was really like peaking. Right. And like you, you left, you left your role there in a time where, you know, you know, guys usually 
leaders usually leave, you know, a lot of the time it's they've they've been trying for the last few right. years, they've plateaued or it's declined or maybe they're they're wanting the downshift because they're getting old or what all the reasons yeah. that are usually present for people to leave and take a take a role frankly on on a team. You aren't you aren't the the lead right. master at 12 stone. Right. And you know, so so what what was it that made you you know, obviously God, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear like how you, what the process was of making that shift. And then more importantly, the two years of, okay, God, you've got me here, you know, why and what, what, what are you learning and what is he showing you in that transition? Um, honestly, and I don't want to, I want, I don't want to be spiritually trite or over spiritualize this, but I would tell you the reason I'm here is because God unmistakably told me to and instructed Kevin Myers to ask me to. Right. Uh, And I knew a few months before I resigned at Red Cedar in, in Rice Lake that the Lord was releasing me. I just had that, um, stirring in my soul in January of 2018, I was away on a, like a solo solitude prayer retreat. And, I'd already had some kind of restlessness in me that I've learned to associate with God's bringing a transition. I just knew it, but I I didn't know what. And then on a solitude retreat, he was very clear that um, he was releasing me. Wow. Um, And so I just, but also very clear that I wasn't really supposed to do anything about it. Meaning like sit still because I would then think, okay, great. Well, then I need to start making a plan and start figuring out what this is going to look like and all these things. And I just was very clear that I was supposed to just be still. Right. Which and is so, interesting. Yeah. And let me, let's, let's talk about that because I think that's, you know, by the grace of God, you were having dialogue with him as a leader and as a pastor and as a person yeah. in, in a way that all of us have caught up to in the last year with the the pandemic because yeah. you know we didn't sign up for this to happen or this this change yeah. to happen but the the landscape of ministry as we know it has shifted and so like you know you were already processing you know how do I how do I follow Jesus how do I find fulfillment what does it look like in this new iteration I'm not preaching every yeah. week like I was and you know I've been discovering right over the last however many months, I don't even know how many months pandemic is. You can see it in my eyes, but um, it's like dog years. Yeah. It's like pandemic years. <laughs> but like, you know, I was telling a friend last night on the way home from basketball, just on a personal level, I've, I've realized how much of my own faith has been based on adrenaline and based on being oh, in front of people goodness. and, and needing a crowd and having instant feedback. And not that it was a bad thing. It wasn't, disingenuous or fake, but it was built and reliant so much on that rhythm of being in front of people and preparing. And, you know, I'm preaching still, but it's just, it's not the same. And, and I've had to learn. Oh, that's so like, good. Faith, faithfulness, and it's so you know, in, in this and season. I remember, and we even kind of had some conversations, you and I, with some other friends of ours that are pastors about, um, you know, this was a few years ago, just coming to this place where we're in this cycle of adrenaline, Mm. this weekly rhythm of like um, platform preaching, things are up and to the right. And 
just the exhausting nature of that kind of faith, the exhausting nature of that kind of rhythm with the Lord. And even a few years ago, I was just, even though on the outside, you know, it looked so wonderful and a, a role in a church that so many leaders would have died for, mm-hmm. like just love to be in. There was just a big part of me that thought, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but if this is what it is to lead the modern day church, if it's just a seven day cycle of like hit the home run, feed off of that, you know, and, but watching, you know, massive numbers get added to a spreadsheet yet not what I would say the equivalent of disciples Yes, um, coming through was disheartening and in a little disillusioning, I would say. Yeah. And, and so, um, I really, and I think, you know, the way that we think and the way we're trained is just always trying to figure out, well, then I need to figure something out to fix it. I need to figure out something out to fix it. And, um, I just could never quite figure out the solution for that. And I think with season that we're in right now, post COVID, I think God is doing what none of us could figure out. Yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. You know what I'm saying? He's going, yeah. well, all of you have been trying, you've all wondered these things, all asked these questions. Yeah. And, um, and, and don't even ask them out loud. You know, we ask them behind closed doors and small groups of leaders, you know, do you feel this way? Do you think this, are you wondering what to do with this, especially in larger churches? And then here we are. And God has just literally brought everything to a standstill. Yeah. And we've had to rethink everything. Yeah, and he's forced and, he's forced us to have to tweak the model and the metrics too. Like the the and that yeah. and that's what I've been finding is like how much satisfaction and fulfillment and gratification that I was getting from the old measuring tools, right? And you we knew we knew the right answers. Like, well, no, we're not we're not just about seeing <laughs> seeing church growth, you know, it, we we care right. about discipleship. We care and and I think we did in as much as we knew to care, but once oh, sure. once the the tide went out, was that was that Warren Buffett's uh, quote? Like when the tide goes out, you sweet you see who is swimming without shorts, and it's like yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden this went away, and a bunch of churches were exposed, and that was our case. You know when when the pandemic hit, we we punched lockdown in the face because we were we just invested in online and we we had the infrastructure to keep going. That was great. But once yeah. it shifted into like this sort of nebulous middle zone of it's still a reality, we can't have services like we want or did, what do we do? And like we really were exposed for not having some real core community health built in our church, sure. you know, and, and I found that in my own life. Like it's not just that the church was exposed, like the rhythms and disciplines of my own life were yes. exposed Yes, and that it was, I was just riding the wave of being in this church cycle for better and worse. And this has been a season of really having to like deal with, like, I don't know if I really know how to keep my, the fire of my soul raging hot without yes. that mechanism. And it's been, it's been tough, but what have you learned, you know, cause you, again, I think you had a head start in some of this cause you were, I remember when you were, you were here for harvest conference a year and a half ago, you were, yeah. you were new into the role there and you were just at like the beginning stages of processing like, okay, what, what, who am I and what does yeah. it mean to follow Jesus now that like that, you know, capital L leader things changed and I'm not at the front of this like 
move of God and I'm not preaching every weekend and like what now what, you know, and how have, how oh, yeah. helped me? How, how have you like <laughs> learned to, to, where have you learned to kind of find that, like how to abide in a more pure holistic way than, than maybe in the past? What, have, what has God showed you through that transition? Yeah, well, I've got it all figured out. Good. So I've got to, no, know. I'm kidding. I'm like, well, this is great because I do not have this all figured out. But I can tell you a couple of things that I've learned. Well, I knew, here's the thing, and we this is what happens. Like God speaks, we hear him, and we say, yes, I'm all in because I've heard God speak. And But then what we think and how we've interpreted what he has said over time reveals itself to be quite different. He knew what he meant. And yeah. I just placed some assumption on yeah. what he meant. I've never done that. But. So, uh, you know, what what he distinctly spoke to me before I came here um, was actually Jeff and I, uh, like the month before um, I said yes to this role here. And I knew that an offer, I'd been given an offer. And um, Jeff and I were on this bucket list trip in Italy with some friends. It was like this thing that we'd always wanted to do. And so we were there and we were in this vineyard in Tuscany, which is like, what, what is my life? I don't even know how I got here right right now. Yeah, I know. And, um, you know, we were walking through the vineyard and it was, and we were experiencing some teaching simultaneously as well from John 15, um, of the vine. So we were in that simultaneously. It's fascinating. It's just, a fascinating thing to do. Was that Christine Kane? Was that, that was a different, that was a different trip. Um, yeah, this was kind of a a thing that, that, uh, evolved off of that. But, um, and I really distinctly felt the Lord draw my attention to the grapes in the vineyard. And he, you know, was saying to me, Heather, um, this is the season you've lived in this great, beautiful season. And there were pictures all over the walls of this vineyard building, you know, of the grapes. And that was their um, claim to fame is they just had the best. And, and he was like, this is where most leaders like to live. Right. And the, in the visible, beautiful, sweet um, stage. And he, he's like, my invitation to you you know, is going to be different because the point of the vineyard is never the grapes. It's always the wine. Um, it's never to settle for this stage. And will you let me take you down into the cellar, into obscurity and to being broken yeah. and to sitting and just aging so that you can come out um, a deep, rich, matured, new kind of wine. Wow. And, and I, I mean, that is so sealed upon my heart and my mind, you know, and God speaks, I think that way to us. Sometimes we don't get that all the time, that distinct visual picture. And you know what it's like when you get that, you yeah. cling to it. Yeah. And so he said that to me and I was like, great, Lord, let's do it. Deepen me, mature me. I'm all about it. Wine, you know, and like when I saw you at Harvest, I think I was like six months in and I was ready to be like, the three ninety nine Boone's Strawberry Hill over in the gas station kind of wine, you know. Sure. I was well, like, yeah. "Give me the heck out!" You know, this is horrifying. Oh. Um, but I think, you know, and I can tell you, like, I've really had, and I felt like I was pretty sure of, of my identity and pretty secure in that. But what 
Um, like you said, and you put it really well. So I'm, I'm grateful because I'm going to sit in that is that um, I've really had to wrestle with like how and what my faith is tied to. Right. And um, can I, I guess my, oh, I should say this, my prayer, especially lately has been um, Lord, rather than fall, distance and feeling far from you in the midst of um, desert and in the midst of a cellar and in the midst of a barrel. Uh, I want to know what it is to be near to you in those times, because historically for me, when I find myself in a barrel and I can't see what's on the outside, um, I don't know when or if they're ever going to come for me. Right. Right. You know, you don't know. Um, I always tend to feel distant from the Lord. Like he's not working and he's not like, why, why don't I see, you know? And, um, my prayer in recent months has been, well, you know, and when I read of people in scripture and I read biographies and I read of great saints and I read of all of that, they talk about this nearness and this closeness of God in darkness and when sight ceases. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer is, you know, when sight ceases, um, does my faith increase? Right. Wow. And uh, he has me sitting in that. And because every deadline I felt like I had, or I thought that God was going to meet, um, he hasn't. Yeah. And, and there, and I very distinctly feel like he's saying, you're just not getting this. <laughs> um, you're just not getting this. Like there's a nearness and an intimacy that he's like, I need you to understand and to know that is unthreatenable. Right. That is like, unshakable yeah you're saying you're saying so much that's resonating with me i think for people who aren't who aren't like pastoral leaders too i mean we're all kind of in this i mean this this year i think for most people there's the very few exceptions who have like 2020 is gonna be the best year they ever had they you know they're Uh, they're, they're shareholders at amazon or something other than that i think yeah i know for sure the rest of us are like this sucks but um you know the the idea of like the the wine we 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 it's like we we know that yeah we're this is the standard this is the invitation we get to be this but we want to skip the crushing and the you know the cellar stuff and i mean i've been even praying as you know and as you have as well like praying for revival uh yeah. in our region and you know i've never seen or read about a revival that's happened independent from like some type of crisis or yeah. it's never happened. But I was kind of hoping this would be the one instance that a revival <laughs> would come and we would just skip the crushing part. But, you know, it doesn't seem to be uh, the historical standard. So I've been praying, you know, okay, Lord, if this is the crushing, then get it. Like, like, you know, I, I, um, a guy actually from uh, New Spring Church down near where you guys are, I think in South Carolina, Clayton King, yeah. Clayton King yes. texted me this morning, which I don't really know him that well. I've only met him a couple times, just texted a nice encouragement and, you know, asked, what are you praying about these days? And I said, you know, my prayer has been, um, God, I feel like I'm on the operating table. So while you're in there, 
get everything, you know, like get, don't, if there's something else wrong with me or something else you need to show me or something else we need to sew up or get rid of, please do it now. And then can you wrap it up? <laughs> it's, it's kind of I my, know. It's kind of my prayer. Um, but, I know. But it is that sort of trusting the Lord in, in, in the waiting and knowing that it is, it's not for naught and that it's, it's, it's unto something and he's not wasting this. He is, he is working in it, but it is tough. I, I, I identify with how you feel like when you're in the barrel, like it does feel like, man, I'm uh, like forgotten down here. And there's, yeah, is this, am I supposed to be here? And there's so much of what you're saying has just been the journey that I think so many of us are on right now. And, and you said something about just sort of sitting in it. And I think that's, that's a great way to sort of typify how I've been processing. Like it, it seems like God has forced a, a fast of sorts for me that the way I experience him is not going to be um, running or flying or soaring. Like right mm-hmm. now, it's just going to be sitting. Like it's not, honestly, it's not been signs and wonders. It's not been crowds mm-hmm. and evangelism. It's been like, just like the slow sense that he's there. And I've never at yes. any point in the last eight or nine months legitimately felt abandoned. I've felt confused or like what, yes. what the crap but not, yes. but not abandoned at any point. Like I've always felt his nearness. Um, it's looked different. Intimacy with him is taking new definitions. It's looking more mature. I think like, I don't know. You remember, you remember when you're probably like, we're, we're dating Jeff. I remember when I was, when I was dating Melanie, like intimacy early on looks, looks like fluttering hearts and it looks like yeah. dates and it's, it's wild and fast and moving it looks different yeah. now, 15 years in, right? 20 years in, it looks, yes. it looks, intimacy means more. It's, it's slower and it's grounded. Yeah. And in a similar way, I've been sensing that with the Lord on a personal level. And I think with the church too, like, I think he's just interested in a more mature bride, you know, and I think he's forced. And I, yes. And you know, I, and I don't know, cause I don't have all, I wish I knew the why behind all that it appears God is doing all the things that have been shut down, whatever stripped away. But, um, you know, and I've talked to a couple of pastors and what's interesting, especially in larger churches with all that's happened, you know, I don't know what it's like here, but we are back in person here, but we're like, I would say, you know, uh, maybe 15%. Yeah. That's us too. You know? And so, there's almost this sense when we, you know, I talk to pastors that are like, everything I built is done and gone. And am I really going to have to start over? But I think it's not, it's just, it's not that everything's well apart. It's just so revealing of what reality actually was. Oh, yeah. Like, no, this is actually what was. Yeah. This, this was who was actually the church. Yeah. And, um, and, and God is just sifting and sifting and sifting, including leaders yep. sifting. Like, like, can you walk with me mm-hmm. in the desert with wanting, without wanting to go back to Egypt? Like, can you, like, can you actually do that when I've given you zero picture of a promised land? And to your point of revival, I remember, oh my goodness, I just thought every time we held a service, that was going to be when God, like, 
Same. Opened up the heavens and like thousands of people were going to flock in and there were going to be all these signs and wonders. And it was going to like be the story that everybody told. And oh my goodness, it just didn't appear that that's what God, I mean, yep. it looks like to something very, very different. And, and my hope is that it is nothing that we've ever seen or can predict. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would seem, it would seem, it, it, probably will, it probably will look different. I do, I do think that there will be on the other side of this, like I do, I think we will come out of the barrel. I think that there will be a great harvest on the other side of this. Yeah. And I, I really do believe that. And we yeah. will, we will feel the feeling of momentum again someday. Like that, that <laughs> yeah. will happen. But I don't think God's going to let us skip this process. And I think he's actually, no. he's actually building us to be able to, to actually carry, carry more, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny, again, we love to detach reality, you know, like that, whether it's detaching revival from the need of crisis and crushing, or even like fruitfulness. I mean, you've experienced it. I've experienced it growing a church from, you know, five, 600 to a couple thousand, you know, you know, the feeling of, it really is true. Like, more people, more problems, more money, more money, more yeah. problems in the word of the prophet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually true. And, and yet we've been praying, God, send the thousands, send the thousands. And it's like, you don't <laughs> want that. You aren't built for that. That'll kill you. Right. And I wonder right. if God is in that sifting of the church, like building us to where we are, we are disciples who can handle more. We can, we can take the responsibility mm-hmm. of bearing with more people's, bearing more people's burdens and reaching more people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting into people's mess. It's not, it's not clean to invite hundreds of new yeah. people into your community or thousands of people. It's messy. People are messy. Super messy. So and everything's really messy right now. Well, let's, that's um, a great, uh, that's a great spot to segue. Cause I wanted to ask yeah. you about the election. I wanted to, I want as a Canadian, oh. <laughs> as a Canadian peeking over the, over the fence, over the, nobody board. really knows if it's over. I mean, half oh. the, half the nation thinks it's over. Half the nation thinks it's not over. Oh, um, and the world too, like half the world thinks it's over, half the world thinks it's not. Yeah, um, it's. I want to ask you though, like I, I haven't been super tied into what like you guys at Twelve Stone have been talking about, but I haven't heard a whole lot on the political front this time around. Mm-hmm. Like, what's been what's been the word as far as like Twelve Stone sort of shepherding its people? Because some. Some churches, even right there in Atlanta, some other churches are very, like, very um, yes. intentional about using their platform to leverage a certain political agenda. I don't right. pick that up from Twelve Stone just at a glance, no. but maybe I've missed something. What's the what's the been the approach as far as reconciling politics and and pastoring and the church and all that? How's that been rolling out for you guys? Well, we definitely. Uh, choose pastoring over politics for sure. And we don't, and intentionally, and I would say Kevin is decidedly and is very clear about this, um, that we are just not going to be a political church and we're not going to get up on the stage and say, here's who you should vote for. Um, Because it is absurd to think that uh, all believers are one side or the other or Mm -hmm. one party or the other. And there are believers across the board and everybody, especially in this election, I think, um, I think, and I don't, I think we probably 
be willing to say this here. I mean, no one really felt like we had great options. <laughs> really? Uh, you know, like no one really went. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you even as a leader or pastor get up and say, hey, vote for this side when there's there's just no yeah. great option. And there's no option that you can point to and say, you know what? It's really, really godly and holy over there on that side. So let's all go there. Yeah. Um, what we have chosen to do is make the most of an opportunity to teach some sound and grounding theology, mm-hmm. um, how to navigate the landscape of such differing values, Yeah. Um, even inside of the kingdom, mm-hmm. um, how you wisely interact with people, how you wisely speak to things. And we've chosen to, and this this word has almost become a, a hot button word, but you, we've chosen unity and we'll say unity over hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, and even collectively as a staff and in church chose to refrain from uh, anything that would be considered highly political or hostile online or um, anything, because everything right now is so sensitive um with the best of intentions you can insert a wedge yeah and it and it completely unnecessarily and um the way that it's going to get solved or the way to solve the division is not going to come through um honestly picking a political side yeah and so um i've really loved that we've taken the stance of here, we're going to give you um, biblical theological tools for you to navigate this in your relationships, for you to navigate this as you're out in the world and in the workplace and in your family, and for you to make the decisions that you feel like the Lord leads you to make. Um, But like, let's make no, let's, let's not mistake that either way um, this election goes ultimately and who knows if it's actually over i mean ultimately no matter which way it goes um neither way is is giving glory to the lord so god's kingdom and expanding god's kingdom is the priority it has to and i think it has to be is it i was watching i watched one of the two presidential debates for about 20 minutes and i was just like sitting there i felt i felt in, in, in one sense sad for like yes. not just America, the whole world, because I think, yes. frankly, like every country should get at least one vote, you know, for toward because it affects <laughs> us. It, it affects us. But uh, you know, I was watching and I was just like, how, how in the world does, are you know, probably inarguably the the greatest human civilization, human like the greatest nation that's ever been designed and created in human yeah. history that we know of. How on earth? Are these two guys like the options? How is this a thing? How how do we with all this smart, brilliant, energetic young people? Uh, not necessarily young. I mean, like just normal middle age. Like 40. no, I know. I take, I'd take I a sixty five year old. I think like, but um, you know how know. how is it? How is this the thing? But I, you know, it's interesting though. It's not lost on me that it's like it happened. It, this election happened in twenty twenty, and like from as a as a Christian, I've been thinking a lot about you know, what, again, what is God doing to the church, to believers in trying to make us more mature and to get us a step further toward 
his design and his image, uh, his dream for the church. And I don't think that dream is tied into a political party or even uh, like the, the flourishing of a, a national banner, you know, and I think that's, that's been yes. a hard, a hard thing, especially for, for American Christians and Canadian Christians, because both of our countries were, I mean, right in the fabric is Christian values. It's there and, yes. and prayers were there and it's been very hard for the church to separate, you know, their, their faith and the kingdom from the flourishing of their nation like you know when yes when you pray you know i i went to a prayer summit at um where basically our 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 country was founded in, in prince edward island and we were praying there and like we were praying the prayers that the founding fathers prayed like which was really cool like we're praying out of the psalms where it says like he'll have dominion from sea to sea like that was literally prayed mm-hmm. over the country of canada from the beginning and so it's understandable in the same way for in, in the u.s i mean the 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 value system is built on christian on christian ethics but it gets really complicated for people to separate like you know is god's agenda to bless america or is his agenda to maybe use america as a tool of blessing but it's a very complicated thing yeah. for people to, to try to navigate because i do think god blesses nations that fear the lord and nations that put his, you know, his value system, you know, you don't have to be a believer to do the, if you do the things that God says to do, it's going to bless you at some level. You don't have to even believe he's real. Follow the 10 commandments. You're going to be better off for it. You know? Right. Um, and I think it's, this is revealed even, I mean, I think I knew it and, and I would say I grew up this way and it's just been in the last few years I've seen, Oh, Oh, maybe this isn't, this is what we're supposed to do is to apply uh an American nationalism hermeneutic (laughs) to everything and to, um, and I've seen so many leaders um, across the church in America feel either both celebratory or hopeless at the result of an election or right. Depending like, it's crazy. Like how neither that gets communicated. Yeah. And neither of those would be the right reaction, right? Like you. Right. Yeah. I know. So it's been, it's been fascinating just to watch. I think again, another revealing, a very clear revealing of what is actually under the surface and probably what has been under the surface for so long. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, here you've got also like when you talk about, well, founded on Christian principles, you know, I was at a, um, roundtable discussion on race up in DC recently, and like that statement alone causes a number of people to stand up and go, "Oh wait, no, we weren't." Mm. Um, actually, our country was founded, you know, slavery on slavery, one of the greatest sins, you know, and and so that what's also been revealing is. You know, America is divided in so many ways, but even the way we view our history and the way we view our founding and and um, has been incredibly divisive. Yeah. That's the reason I was at that table is because we've got all this division with race and they brought this round table together of, of people to talk about the church's response to it. And you've got white people at the table, black people at the table and one white guy you know, like 60 year old white guy says, well, we need to get back to our biblical principles. 
And I thought some of those, you know, um, black pastors are going to come up out of their chairs, you know, because of just the different view. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really one of the words I've been like a a word I've been thinking a lot about from not just my own life, but especially for when I think about our church community and Christians today is like nuance, you know, and Mm. like so there's so much division, which basically brings these, frankly, very complicated conversations down into like just a couple binary binaries where it's either this or that, you know, and it's, yes. like, I don't think there's, you know, you, I, I, I deleted it. I, I had a post I was going to put on Instagram during election day for the, for the U S just, I was going to say, you know, let's just not blindly support the narrative that if you vote for Trump, you're racist. And if you vote for Biden, you don't, yes. you don't love freedom. Like it can't be that simple. Yes. It just can't be that simple. And it's like, yes. especially as Christians, we've got to dive into the complexity and the nuance and then learn how to apply the word and Christian values through that and realizing there's probably not going to be any perfect answers that just thread the needle, you know, just so. Right. But, you know, one of the things I've been, and I'd love, like, what do you think is is a a, a positive response or like how should the church be responding at least in this political conversation which we can we can connect the race the the race issue that's that's going on like all these what should the church be most concerned with i guess is is what i'd mm-hmm. like to ask you i've been thinking about that like what's most important because if you listen to if you listen to you know uh church leader x uh, you might yeah. you might think that the most important thing is that we vote in a way that's pro life, or if you listen to church yes. leader, why you know the most important thing is that we vote in such a way that you know affirms black black lives or whatever. And it's like what yes. what what should the most important thing be? I think what's the what maybe maybe that's a poor way of asking this question. Let me ask it like this: What are the things that drive your processing? You know, yeah. the the most weight the most weight i guess we put the most weight on yeah i would say there's a couple things um the first thing i would say is i have learned that myself um or for myself that i was not nearly as educated as i thought i was in some of these things Hmm. so part of my response has been just to get educated so rather than blanketly making assumptions about you know, what is pro-life or not pro-life or where is racism from or not from, or when they say systemic, what does that actually mean? And like, I've really had to be willing to do some work and not just rely on either what I've been taught, you know, throughout my life or what I've seen on the media or what, even what, you know, prominent leaders might be espousing, like really do work um to study read and learn so because you mean, these like, things share share memes that <laughs> share your case and that that kind of work you know like it's little things you know like people would say um when it comes to racism i'm not racist because you know i don't have a problem with black people right. but not really doing the deep thinking and having the conversations or doing the reading to go i that's not what the black community is saying mm-hmm. like it's not limited to that small and that simplistic right. of a thing and so i just really and i was 
honestly so surprised at all that I didn't realize and know. Hmm. Um, and so I would say not just on that issue, but a lot of issues. I just like I wanted to understand, you know, to vote Democrat. Does that really mean somebody's pro-life? How does abortion get decided? How hmm. how effective like is yep. it when we put a president in that is pro-life? I mean, those kinds of things like to really understand. So I would say that's part of their response. And I think a needed response. And I think uh, Christians, we can tend to be really lazy in that. Yes. Um, and and not do the work uh, because we get very dogmatic about a few distinctives. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because it sounds holy to right. say that I'm not voting for a president that is pro-choice. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, but is that actually true? Right. Um, is it true? And so that's been fascinating to learn a lot more about. And then I would say second, my response, and I think what I love about 12 Stone, our response is um, very uh, strong on the building of God's kingdom, of kingdom. Yes. Like yeah. an understanding kingdom and what that means. And so it's being aware, but it's also of, of the king of the earthly kingdom we live in and being educated, but also the pursuit is God's kingdom and the expansion of his kingdom and what actually tethers you. Right. So, um, I think both have been pretty critical because I think in times like this, it's easy to lose sight of, uh, supernatural and, when the natural is so loud. Yes. And so I think just staying tethered to the supernatural uh, is so, so important. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The idea of just like wanting to see God's kingdom established as our primary, like yeah, that's the thing we value more than anything. And we do have to, I don't think at, in the end, like, yes, if you re- read Revelation 7, like it says, you know, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, but you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't say like, and America or and Canada. Yeah. Like it, it's sort of yeah. like the, the vision is these things all mold into the, the, the kingdom that God has established. And yeah, I think you make such a good point about having to do the work. I mean, I think that's part of, part of the problem is we do, we get, we get, sucked into political narratives like narratives that the media are driving and that sound right but in actuality when you do some do some research or listen to like have some relationships like listen to somebody who doesn't have the same skin color or who doesn't vote the same way as you and actually that's what i find is like the part of the problem is these just like echo chambers we live in where and I mean you you did you watch the social dilemma? Did you watch that? Are you? Are <gasps> yeah, you hiding, I did. Are you, you hiding? Are you hiding all of your kids from and yourself from? Good crazy? night. I mean, I was Jeff and I watched that together, and I was like, "Shut it all down! I know. Shut it down!" I'm, I know it's. I know, but it's no like, more. but it just show it just goes to show like even even the way that you have come to your opinion. If you got it off Google, you can't trust that that's objective. Because Google right. has served you what it thinks you want wants you, like what it thinks you want to hear, and Facebook right. serves you more of what 
not you tell not not what you say you want to hear what through advanced algorithms and knowing who you yes. actually are they keep serving yes. things that reaffirm you know your preconceived ideas and it's like if we we have to break out of this vortex of superficial arguments that we share online and it sounds right but you don't like you know, I had people back when the the George Floyd thing happened. You know, I sat down with some mm-hmm. of my black friends and had a conversation in this format, and I had I had like white people from our church, which I would say historically, you know, racism is definitely a thing everywhere, um, but it's not as embedded to our history as it is in the in the U.S. Like we were the destination yeah. for the Underground Railroad. That's where you came here. Right. So it's not it's not the same. However, I got I was shocked by the pushback I got from white people, like really, you know, pushing back against what these guys were saying. And, and my response was always, well, who do, who are your black friends that are speaking into your life? You you got to hear mine, you know, and it's like right. people don't have any. They don't have it. They don't they don't have relationships that are informing different opinions and they are just staying in the vortex of their their little eco chamber that's that's continuing to reinforce their preconceived ideas i think you make such a good point about having to do you know do some do some homework and learn how to do that maybe that's a job for the church too is to help equip people to be able to to know like how okay how do you even trust what you're learning online you know i've had people push back against some of the revelation stuff that I've been teaching through and preaching through the book of revelation because 2020. So, yeah, um, right. and you know, people pushing back and, and there's, you know, they're saying they're pushing back against the, the arguments that I'm making and I'm asking them, well, where are you getting, where are you getting your, your stuff? You right. Know, well, Google, you know, and from so-and-so, yeah. so-and-so from, you know, Beaver Beaver Creek, Louisiana, said that the rapture is going to happen on on December seventeenth, two thousand twenty one. Oh. So you better be ready. You know, and it's like, where are you getting this? And so, anyway, all that to say, the value of the church has got to mature, like even like intellectually. And I think we come yes. across come across so hypocritical when we'll just blanket say, "Yeah, we're sorry, we're pro life. I can't vote that way." Well. So does pro life right. does does pro life only mean uh, abortions or does that mean war and does that mean uh, what about what about the capital punishment like where where does right. that you, you want to apply the the spectrum of all life matters to a to a unborn child which I agree but okay so an inmate life or uh, well and when you do the when you do the study and you actually look at history and the numbers of abortions over time and see that it hasn't mattered whether it's been a Republican or Democrat in office, like it hasn't really impacted whether they went up or down. Um, That's a fascinating thing, but something we've been talking about lately, like to your, to your point where you're, you know, um, to being uneducated as Christians and to really trying to do the work to get educated. uh, I find, and I'm, and I work with, um, one of the things I lead is our, our young adults. And so these 20 somethings, right. And what I find even in the newer generations is that there's a very clear confusion as to um, what is biblical mandate and then what are personal convictions. Right. And, and so, mm. you know, if you have biblical truth at the top of the hierarchy, right. Like that's the foundation 
And then you've got convictions under that personal convictions, Holy Spirit led convictions, you know, hey, this is how I want you to walk out this truth. You uniquely walk this out. And then preferences at the bottom, what I find, especially the younger ones that I work with, but then it's revealed itself to be, you know, ageless over the last few months here in America, is that Christians want to take like, and just flip that hierarchy. And, um, and so you find a, like, you know, Kevin, our, our pastor, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of went viral for a little bit, but he made a statement, you know, one of his sermons of several weeks ago about how he's not for sale, you know, politically, because wow. um, people were pressing him so much to make so many political statements that he was just like, look, I'm not for sale. I'm not your politician. I'm your pastor. And because what was happening is people wanted to take their preferences and even their personal, even perhaps Holy Spirit convictions, like, you know, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I needed, you know, not me personally, but a person could say, I, I you know, I should go to a protest, you know, and that's what the Holy Spirit asked me to do, you know, and if our pastor or one of our leaders wasn't there, well, then they're not in alignment with biblical truth and mandate, which is not the case. And so the confusion of what is personal conviction and what is actually truth, and it's so messed up right now, it would seem amongst believers. And so we have all this division. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's a lack of understanding, lack of education in all of this, um, the the lack of biblical literacy, um, just all of it in this big pot all stirred up. Yeah. And but people making very dogmatic statements and coming out and leading massive groups of people towards one end or the other with that as the recipe. The interesting thing too is like the the Bible speaks so clearly to so many of the, like the issues that we, we have, but we won't even stop and crack it open. You know, we just, we just go with, I think, I think feelings and convictions are, are God for culture right now. And if, if I feel such and such a way that is canon and, you know, like, and you, you insert whatever, whatever, um, you know, pithy, politically charged statement. Love is love, right? Like right. Um, the Bible actually says, no, love is not love. This is love, right? It, it, it actually right. it actually says it. And love is love sounds right, but it's not. And there's so many of these things that sound right. And it sounds right, yeah, vote pro-life. Well, maybe to vote pro-life right. isn't as obvious as what you think it is. And it's just, it's such a, it's a, it's a real time, I think, for the church. I think you're so right to get into what, what is, what is biblical truth? And are we, I don't even know if the whole church agrees that we, we need to start there. That to me is no, the, that to me is the scary thing. Like I've had a lot of, you know, painful conversations with people who've left our church because they, they think that we're, you know, too narrow minded as, you know, for our certain views, whether it's on marriage and sexuality or, or what have you. And, you know, it always erodes that, well, look, let's crack open the Bible and you show me, you show me where, where I've got it wrong and I'll repent. Right. And, and yet the, the conversations a lot of the time now aren't in that arena. They're in the, yeah, yeah, well, I feel, I feel this and Jesus would never, and, uh, you know, and, just kind of attaching our feelings to it, but you know, I, I was like, go ahead. So determined. Part of the last year for me 
because honestly, like you get in these conversations and I'm like, I'm not even sure what I'm saying. Like I want to, and I really wanted to go, I just need to know what did Jesus do? (laughs) I mean, I've read the gospels a million times, but I went back into it and was like, I need to know, I don't know if I've ever just specifically read through to see what did he do Mm. with politics? What did he do with this behavior, that behavior? And I literally was was just taking like a highlighter and going, okay, like I'm going to go through and anything that describes the kingdom of God, here's what I'm looking at. And here, anything that, you know, how did he respond? And I, I literally could not find where Jesus um, wanted to speak to specific issues or behaviors. It was always about identity. Right. It was always about, like he would follow up, you know, identity discipleship with like, oh, okay, and don't go sin anymore, right. or you know, those kinds of things. But um, it was always about the person being a son or daughter, and identity, and um, the least and the lowest. And he, it was just he really was the person. He it was the personification of love. But as I read it. I was like, why are, why am I so confused? Because if I'm trying to figure out how to respond to every singular issue, mm-hmm. I'm never going to lead like Jesus. Right. Because he was never a responder to every singular issue. Mm-hmm. He, um, he was well aware of them yeah. and would sometimes have that conversation like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give honor to Caesar, blah, blah, you know. But sometimes he would have that, but only ever to get to the main conversation of identity. Yeah. Yeah. It was only ever like a, um, I'll hit the softball so that you'll actually let me address the real issue. Right. Now can we talk about this? Yes. Yeah. And isn't that such a tool? I mean, that's been one of my big, my big hangups, you know, you know, go back to the, the conversation around uh, like homosexuality. Like what a, what a terrible yeah. thing that we've made we've made this such a massive deal. Like, can we, why are we starting with, well, can I, or can't I be a Christian and practice this? Can we start with who's Jesus and who are you? And, and like, yeah, we can, we can get into what the Bible says about this, but until we deal with the identity picture, this whole conversation is, is so, is so secondary at some level. And I know that'll offend some people when they hear me say that, because I'm not, I'm not changing what I say. I think the Bible says, but I do think it's a major issue that we have. Again, like you said, like we've made it the, the main pitch and Jesus would, would very much, I think, speak to some deeper issue for any individual who's, who's seeking to follow him. But it's, um, it's an inter- it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. It seems like Jesus was always very, very, uh, what's the word, aware or um, driven by what he perceived the Father doing, and that never that never compromised or or contradicted who the Father's revealed himself to be in the Scripture. Um, and he was always very aware, I think, of his of his witness, like of. I don't mm-hmm. think Jesus ever did anything that would make him would 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 send a confusing signal. Right? Yeah, that's like, good. Like mm-hmm. it was always like he when you when you play back the gospels, everything he did lined up with who he said he was and who he said the Father is. And I think that, you know, to come full circle on this politics conversation, I think that's the big that's been my big 
wondering in all this, and I've had some some pressure recently in our own kind of political system to take take certain stands and put my name yeah. by by candidate X, and I just won't. Um, part of it is because I don't think, um, what's the word like, like to do that calls into question so much of our witness. Um, I think that's part of the problem with the American church and in politics right now is I think there's a whole bunch of people that can't understand why Bill, Bill Clinton's character was a problem, but Donald Trump's isn't. Yes. Like, huh? Well, all that, but see, and I don't know how much time we have because that opens a whole. We got time. That whole other, a whole other thing. Um, and one that I don't, you know, I'm. I would say I'm on the beginning end of diving into like educating myself and reading and really understanding, um, that what we are willing to allow in the character of a leader, as long as the character, as long as the leader does what we want them to do. Right. And as long as the leader produces what we want them to produce mm-hmm. and does things so that our bubble and our comfort level is not, is not affected. We don't care what their character is. And not only do we not care, we, the the number of Christians that say, well, I know he says these things and I know um, I've heard Christians say horrible things mm-hmm. about the president. And then there's a, but, yep. but he mm-hmm. makes this decision and that decision benefits me. And so, you know, and I brought that up in a conversation the other day and when I like what you said, I said, well, well nobody excused you know, Christians were excusing Clinton's behavior and they said, well, because we didn't agree with Clinton's politics. Well, <laughs> like, but yeah. this, this whole idea that when I say when the beginning uh, end of this study of power and um, the intricacies and of power yeah, and what is power in the earthly kingdom and power in God's kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to just see how um, we have so confused. Yeah. The two, yeah, totally. It's it, but it's such a complex. I mean, it's it it is. It it does require nuance. And I would say, and I thought um, one of the best things I read over the last month, John Piper put out a piece on why he wasn't going to support Trump this election, and I thought he did a great job. Yeah, I saw that. Thought it was awesome. And then I I read um, Wayne Grudem put a response out, which was equally as good on why he is voting for Trump. And then at the end, he said too. He said. uh, he goes, and just for the record, uh, John Piper is my friend, and I called him before I, before I published this, and he helped me strengthen one of my arguments. So let's just um, – that alone was very refreshing, just to be like, okay, thank you yes. for not, like, shooting each other. Um, but, like, the, the complexity of all this, it, yes. it's, it's deep. And one of the, one of the things I'd heard – I heard uh, – I think it was Eric Metaxas say in a debate I listened to, he was saying – you know, Donald Trump isn't like he said, he, this guy's he's a, he's a Trump supporter as a Christian, but he said, you know, Donald Trump's like King Cyrus, right? That God is mm-hmm. using him to accomplish his purposes um, in many cases in spite of him or whatever. And I thought, okay, that's, that's kind of a good 
analogy, but here's the problem with mm-hmm. that. And here's, I think, the thing the church has to ask the tough question on is um, the people of Israel didn't get a vote on Cyrus. Like yeah. they didn't put him there. Okay, okay if God did and God yeah. used him. But the problem with the church is the moment you have a power in a democracy that, you know, Israel never had in Babylon. And yeah. like, as soon as you cast a vote, and I'm not, I'm not advocating that you shouldn't either. I'm saying this is a really complex thing. But as soon as you cast a vote, yeah. you are, you are at a deep level, aligning yourself, and it's a scary mm-hmm. thing uh, to to do that as as a Christian. So you know, I, I haven't envied you guys going through that, and we have our own issues here in Canada. You know, we've got we've got a potential election coming up, and everything yeah. that the yeah. church is terrified of about the left. <laughs> is already happening here. So we're, we're 15, 15 years. I know. Woke actually, you said that to me before. And that actually has many times brought me comfort. I really thought, well, I remember Brent saying, Hey, look, we're all, we're already where you guys are going. So it's totally fine. And we're still here. The Jack boots are at the door. They're going to shut this podcast down. Let's uh, we better go. I'm just, okay. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I know. But like, I, and I, uh, I thought, so we're, we're really going to be fine. Um, you know, but, it's um i think we've chosen not to be really political as a church too because because of what you just said you then then you have to align with a person yeah like you have to choose a person that like i'm on their i'm on their platform and that's such a dangerous thing yeah and um and and rather than unite the church as some would say it would it will cause further division. Yeah, yeah. So let, let me let me shift into one more final sort of question area I wanted to answer, ask you about. And it goes along with some of what we're talking about. It's just like, so what does real talk? We're talking about division. We're talking about, um, you know, you were even at that at that thing in DC. Um, yeah. You know what does what does reconciliation and equality look like you know let me, let me tell a quick story because one of my favorite heather simple stories of all time <laughs> is um when we were in atlanta maybe i don't know it's four years ago probably now and they had the wesleyan church brought like a handful of the largest churches pastors down and we were having conversations yeah. you remember the, you remember the panel and i do yeah, remember the panel. Oh, we were on it yeah well you were i maybe i was too maybe i was the token young guy maybe that was it you were the we joked because you were like there was a there's yeah. always a black guy, middle-aged white guy, a woman, and a Canadian or something. Like the most international they had, but you, yeah, but you like totally. It was just the most awesome mic drop moment I've ever beheld because when it got to you, there was a question, and you sort of exposed the the truth that was going on behind all this, and it's like. You know, this is, we're not really here to talk about leadership. You really are trying to make a statement of diversity. And, you know, I'm sitting beside the only black guy we have and the the young Canadian guy and I'm the token woman. And like, this isn't, this can't be what, you know, real equality looks like, or this, right. this can't like, that's, that's what I really walked away from was you really seem to resent. And I think rightly so, like resent that if you have me here, cause I'm a female, look pick somebody else and i don't i don't want to sit here based on my gender and like that i think is such a lost voice in this day and age about like there is a there is sort of a, a catch 22 on when we start 
talking about equality and then if you start putting people into a certain position because of their race or because of their gender, that's as racist or sexist as it would be to exclude them because of their race or yeah. their gender. And I just thought like you have such a, you've lived, you know, as a leader, quite honestly, like that's a lot of the time as the only woman in a room full of alpha male yeah. dudes. And, and like, you probably have such an interesting perspective on having to had have navigated. Now you're wired different than your, your average female like this you this know, is true you're there and and that's the thing you get in a room like alpha people are alpha people and it, you know like no one no one yeah. like no one uh dials it back because there's a woman in the room you know like that's, yeah. that's never been the case with you but like i want to i want to get your your take on what are solutions like what does what does a real equality look like if the church is going to advocate for that? What does it look like for race? What does it look like for gender? Um, yeah. Is it, is it, I'm hoping it's more than just, you know, okay, well, we better put a black guy on the panel or we better put a woman on the panel. Right. You know, it, what right. does it really look like in your opinion? Well, and I would say my answer to this has evolved some over the last couple of years. I, um, I think, that day that we were on that panel, I still agree with everything I said, but I think I've added a new layer. <clears throat> and the word reconciliation is interesting because um, reconciliation has to, con you know, I always think of the story of the prodigal son. So you have a son willing to repent and you have a father willing to forgive. Both sides are required for reconciliation, repentance and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to equality, there are two sides to it. And I used to really only advocate for one. I really only ever advocated for, um, you know, and I, and I, sometimes I even chastise myself because I think I made it difficult for some women by just, you know, saying to them, we'll just be a good leader. And then, right. you know, you'll get picked and it'll be fine. And yeah. just don't be dumb, you know, yeah. and then you'll be invited to the table. And that's not always the case. Right. And so, and I, and I was very strong against putting token people yeah. and it really, like you said, it resented deeply yeah. being a token. Um, here's, here's where I'm landing. And I've been doing a lot of research in this lately too, just um, in, in the conversations with women and, and people uh, of other races and what this all looks like. I, I It really is going to have to be a reconciliation is a two, is a, is a two sided f moving forward to the middle process. So for example, um, someone invites me to something because they need a woman. Yeah, And um, I've had some degree of success and there's some trust in me that I'm not going to blow it up. And so I get invited to this seat because they need a woman. You know, five years ago, I would have said, well, no, I'm not taking the seat because right. I refuse to be a token. Now I would say 100% take the seat. 100%. Because even though you may not feel you've earned it on the front end, mm -hmm. you're going to have to earn it on the back end. Either way, you're going to have to earn it. To hold it, yeah. And the other side, the invitation, whether the invitation is done out of a motivation of optics or, you know, this is what we have to do. Um, I really do think that um, no matter the motivation, it's still the open door 
Right. And the only way to really like come together is for everybody to be willing to say yes to each other. Yeah. And to move forward in that. Um, yeah. Do you think like, I think, I think what you're saying is bang on. And I think there needs to be part of what reconciliation and equality looks like is for the, for people who, who have had a place at the table to create spaces at the table for the voices that have been underrepresented, whether it is females or people of different skin colors or what have you. Um, I think, I think where it gets sticky though, for a lot of people is it's like, creating opportunities is not the same thing as ensuring outcomes. Right. And like, yes, that's the, that's the catch. I think what, what maybe in the, in the nuance of this conversation is again, you're advocating for um, a, a relational approach. And I think that where we run into problems, this is probably why that day at that panel felt weird was because um, you, they were really trying to bypass the actual relational component of this yeah. to, uh, Hey, let's just cash some equality chips here. You know, let's let it's virtue, yeah. it's virtue signaling is what it is. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really in the air yeah. of, of the, of the, the times is like, we want mm-hmm. the appearance of being people who care about such and such a cause, but in actuality, when it comes down to paying to paying the piper for it. I don't think a lot of us have a lot of appetite for it, but I like what you're saying on the, if a door opens, an opportunity opens, you know, to take that and take to it. see it as an opportunity to advocate and to, and to hold that space and create that space for, cause that's, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, you know, I'm a basketball fan, so I'll follow the NBA and there's, there's a lot of people advocating to try to have like make opportunities for more people of color to own NBA teams. Right. And on the one hand, like there's a part of me that would say, well, they have every opportunity that, you know, uh, a white guy does, but the reality is they don't cause it's, it's actually, there's a, there's a preexisting group of yeah. predominantly white CEOs and, and hugely rich individuals. So we have to actually create those spaces, but yeah, it's a uh, very complicated dynamic. It's I think su- it is super complicated. And honestly, like, and I can't, and I don't want to make light of the complexities because um, it's just very complex. And yeah. um, there's a lot of factors that are at play, especially in larger churches uh, with, um, men and women working together and what does that look like and um what does change look like and how do we do this and do we do we just draw a line in the sand and then jump over the line even though it will be quite polarizing right initially do we um take a you know take a slow approach do we um but i think um one of these and this would this is kind of tied to the stuff that i'm kind of reading about when it comes to power is I do think one of our tendencies is to let the people who currently remain in authority, which by and large in the church, you know, are, you know, middle-aged to older white men Mm -hmm. um, make the decisions and tell those who are marginalized or have less a role, what progress is, whether it's a race thing or a gender thing or whatever. So 
to make very small strides and steps um, and then to inform, you know, the black culture or women or Hispanic, like, but look, here's what we've done without inviting those voices to the table to express what might actually feel like progress. Right. Right. That's just an interesting dynamic too of um, like who gets, who gets to speak into what progress in that arena is. Yeah. Um, and, and so I've just, it's a, lately I've just wondered um, because part of what I want to do that I never thought I would ever do. And you can attest to this. You'd be like, you're doing what? Cause I don't, ugh, um, can't believe you would do that is um, do a lot, do some writing and yep. um, some developing specifically for women on how to be a woman yep. in leadership in the church. And there really isn't an insider that has written anything of substance mm-hmm. directly towards the female leader. Yeah. Um, there's stuff for churches on how to do it, things like that. But like, how do you exist as a woman? How, what do you do? How do you respond? Um, how do you cut through the confusion and actually do this? Yeah. And wow. do you take the seat? Do you have that conversation? How do you carry yourself? What should you chase? What should you not chase? Um, what are the things nobody will tell you because yeah. it's not PC, you know, yep. all those kinds of things. That's um, awesome. I, I, it's it's th- encouraging to hear how you're owning, you're owning your, your voice and the window of opportunity that God's given you, you know, even to speak into that area. And I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably a level, the, the, the personality that you have that got you to where you are, you know, as a leader, which is such a, it's a unique and unusual, honestly, it's an, not, not very many women have, have, you know, grown a church up over a thousand people or or beyond. Like that's a very unusual, uh, you know, not your normal thing, but I think the party, like to go back to that, that day where you're sort of pushing back a little bit against being the token female, you know, part of that's probably just from a still sensing the, you know, like I'm here, I'm here, I'm here on my own right. Like I'm not here because I'm right, a girl and right. I'm here like I made it and you did, right? But like there's a, there's a maybe like a, a maturing in God, like getting you comfortable with your own unique voice. Like there was probably, you had to scrap and claw to get to where you were and no one was handing that to you. And you, you didn't, you didn't get that's- in that room because you were a token, but what, you know, once you got in that room, then it was like, well, let's try and pretend like we're diverse here. And it's like, there's yeah. like the five, five people. And then there's 40 other white dudes sitting watching, you know, the, the one yeah. woman, the one black guy, the old guy and the, you know, the young international kid, you know? And so but part, <laughs> but, but part of it was like, so part, part of it was probably just still like you're in this zone of being accepted as equal in a context like that. But at a certain point, if you stay in that kind of scrapping mode, you're actually ignoring the opportunity that you have to be a lifter and to, to like be a person that, okay, you weren't afforded, you weren't afforded that. No one, no one gave you that space, but you now can actually bring female voices to the table in a way that, no God, no man could. And, and that, that, that to me is such a, a kingdom picture to, to sort I of felt like the Lord went, stop fussing about it. Yeah. And like, just do something about it. Like, um, 
you know, I want to tell women, like, stop waiting on the men to make you feel comfortable in a meeting. It's your job. Wow. It's your job to make the room comfortable with your presence. Yeah. Like those kinds of things that like nobody will tell them, like, because it's not, you know, a man can't tell them that. Yeah. A man can't look at a woman and go, you know what? You just need to buck up and make every other man in the room comfortable. Um, I feel like I could say to women, look, like this, when, when you're in uncharted territory and you're like on a ship with people um, and you're the only one that uh, has any, any real sense of what it is like um, or how to get there, you have to say something mm-hmm. like, and so you can't go into a room with people that have never experienced a woman in the room and think that they know what to do with a woman in the room. Right. Um, so we can't ask to be led if we aren't willing to lead the way. And anyway, so those kinds of things that I just want to be like, okay, ladies, like here's what it means. Like you, we bear their, I mean, like it or not fair or fair or not, we bear the responsibility um, of helping lead out and the more women wait for everybody else to do what we think they should do. We're just going to stay in this situation. That's it. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah. And that's, that's why I say it's, it's both the father and the son. It's like, right. it's both, you know, and, and right now, but I just generally think not just gender. I think a lot of things, you know, um, the, the group that feels diminished um, is angry that the group in authority or power doesn't fix it. Right. And while, while there should be intentionality um, in that, there also has to be a leadership savvy that is imparted to help the group that feels diminished know how to move the ball down the field. Yep. Yeah. It's both, right? Like the father's responsible and the son's responsible to, right. yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Heather, we've gone uh, over an hour, so that's, and I'm sure we could, we could talk, talk much longer, but I want to honor your time and thank you. Uh, thanks thank for jumping you. So fun. You should do it again sometime. You know, you can, yes. Token female guest again. <laughs> anytime. I'll be the token on, on your podcast anytime. Happy uh, to be that. Uh, you you certainly aren't uh, a token female on my podcast. I as <laughs> as anybody who has been following my podcast has now well realized I don't uh, probably to a fault. I need to pr- maybe think a little bit more about diversifying. But I just talked to my <laughs> friends. I talked to who I want to yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Oh, and, I get it. Yeah, yeah. You're on the list. So yeah, thank you well, so thank much. You so for, much for being part of the podcast today. Yeah, well, you're my friend, but you're also um, you're also a leader. I just have such tremendous respect for, like, just just such huge, huge, big, mad respect uh, for what you're doing. Thank you. I love it so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Heather as much as I did. Hey, if you haven't already, I'd love it if you'd share this podcast with a friend. Maybe take a moment and leave us a rating or a review if it's positive anyway if it's a negative keep it to yourself but uh, otherwise hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time